Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today and we read on Ephesus and we learn a little bit more about them, I think that you're going to teach us more about you. Lord, and that we'll see and know that your word is alive and that it is for us today to help us more than anything else in this world that we can hold in our hands can help us. This word can help us. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Speaking on the on the word, on the Bible, it is more than a book. It's more than a book. It's more like a library, right? A lot of books put together in one library. You can go all the way back. You've got a, an account of creation. Luke was asking me about that last night. Before he goes to bed, he asks questions. And sometimes he tries to ask deep ones so that we stay in there longer. And he said, Daddy, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, was that real? I said, yeah, it's real. It's in the Bible. Wait a second. So it was real, like it really happened. I said, yes, it was real, like it really happened. We have an account of it in the scripture. We have the creation account. We have the patriarchs. We have the nation of Israel. We have judges and prophets and kings and poets and time all declaring that the Messiah would come. And then in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we have Christ, the word incarnate in the flesh here walking among us, crucified, dead and buried for our sins, rose on the third day and ascended to heaven to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient. In the book of Acts, we see the church being born in the city of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit empowering it and pushing it out into the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the remainder of the New Testament, whether you realize it or not, is letters to those churches, the believers at that time in the world, different parts of the world. We have these letters. And we're going to start to look into one of them today. The book of Ephesians, you know, our rhythm of teaching, my rhythm of teaching. I just listen to him. But um, we go through books of the Bible a verse at a time, a verse at a time. And then when we get done with one, we'll may have something that's a little more topical for a few weeks there. And then we're back into a book of the Bible, a verse at a time until we get to December. And then it's Advent for four weeks. January is purpose and focus. And what are we going to do this year? Where are we right now? Where are we going? And then we're right back into the book of the Bible, a verse at a time. And the more and more we've done this again, I've learned it's more than a book. It's a library, but it's more than a library because it's alive. It is living and active. Now, that doesn't mean that it's growing. We're not adding books to it. There's not going to be a third Corinthians coming out next year. It doesn't mean that it's changing. It's not shifting from what it says. But yet, even though it's a thousand or thousands of years old, we can sit down with it and it be brand new. Brand new for 
us because while it's not growing, it's growing us. And it's not changing, but it's changing us. And it's not shifting, but it's shifting us from where we are to where we're going one step at a time. And it's that expectation that I have as we press into the letter to the church at Ephesus. I saw read a quote as I was studying on this from a theologian named John Stott. And he said, Ephesians is the gospel of the church. It sets forth God's eternal purpose to create through Jesus Christ a new society, a society which stands in bright relief against the somber background of the old world. God's new society is characterized by life in place of death, unity and reconciliation in place of division and alienation. Wholesome standards of righteousness in place of corruption and wickedness. Love and peace in place of hatred and strife. An unrelenting conflict with evil in place of a flabby acceptance of it. I like that last one. Because you're going to see here in Ephesians as we go through it. How long is it going to take? I don't know. Y'all were here when we went through Luke and Acts. It took a little bit, but it was fun, wasn't it? You'll see that there is darkness in the world. And what he was pointing to is what Ephesians will show us is that we're to be an unrelenting conflict with that evil and not flabby acceptance of it. So as we start today, I can't do anything other than an introduction to the book. I want you to see uh, where it fits in its space and its time so that we can glean more from it. And we see that in these first two verses. It's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about this morning the author, the recipients, and the message of the letter to the Ephesians. The author, the recipients, and the message. So the first, the author... Inspired of the Holy Spirit is Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. Now, if you were here with us when we went through the book of Acts and our Bible study in the book of Acts, you're pretty familiar uh, with this gentleman. You know him quite well because a large portion of the book of Acts covers his from his sinfulness to his conversion to his calling and his commission as an apostle and a missionary to his journey from place to place in the ancient world, preaching Jesus and planting churches. I want to read just real quick from the book of Acts chapter 26, what he said himself about it. Acts 26 and verse nine, he's standing before King Agrippa giving it a defense for what it is that he's done in his life. It's drawing close to the end of his life. And he says, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, when who was put to death? The saints. I was in agreement against them. and all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. 
I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and commission from the chief priests. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and all the regions of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. This is the Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who wrote the letter to the Ephesians. He says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle means one that's sent. Who was he sent by? Jesus. We just read that, right? Jesus said, I'm sending you to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles so that they would turn from darkness to light and from following Satan to following Christ. He said, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, not by his own will. Not by the will of anybody else, but God himself willed it and brought it about. This is the author of the book of Ephesians, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, who was the audience, the original recipients of this letter? It says right there, right? At the end of verse 1. To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Or the saints of Christ Jesus in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a city in Paul's day. It's in modern day area of Turkey. But in his day, it was an enormous city at the time, 250,000 plus people estimated with a massive harbor on one end for ships coming and going. So you had a lot of travel, you had a lot of trade, and it was connected to a pretty sophisticated highway system on the other side. So you had constant Travelers into and out of this city. The city of Ephesus was spiritual, but not in the way we want to be spiritual. It was very, very pagan. And that's why in Paul's letter, you'll see many references to spiritual warfare, to powers, and to demons. You'll see references to sorcery and witchcraft. The city of Ephesus was the location of the temple of Artemis, where the goddess Artemis was worshipped. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's 
right there with the hanging gardens of Babylon. The other things that you hear about, the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis was one of those seven wonders. The city was wealthy. It was a political hub. It was the Roman provincial capital in Asia Minor, which means Rome controlled so many parts of the world, but they couldn't control it all from right here. You had to have a Roman capital in Asia. Well, that was Ephesus. And so the Romans are there as well. It was a corrupt city steeped in sexual sin, the amounts that we can't fathom. You're like, we can't fathom it? We can't fathom it. They incorporated sinful acts into their pagan worship. An example would be all of the prostitutes that worked in the temple of Artemis and their worship to this goddess. It involved a whole lot of corrupt acts. This is where Paul landed in Acts 18. Again, we already went through this when we went through Acts, but I'm going to touch on it just so we know where we are. He landed there in Acts 18 with Priscilla and Aquila that he met in Corinth. And he left Ephesus, left them there for a time without him, Priscilla and Aquila. And it was there that they met Apollos. That's another name you may recognize from reading through the New Testament. When Paul returned to Ephesus, we won't read all of it, but I want to read some of it. In Acts 19... Let me flip back. He returned there as he's been going about ministering. He had gone back to Jerusalem for a time and then he came back to Ephesus. And in 19 and verse 8, it said he entered the synagogue, and that's where the Jewish believers met, or at least the Jews met regularly, right? That's where Paul would always start his journeys, was with them. He entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, the way of Christ, in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So for two years... He is meeting with people in this lecture hall of Tyrannus. You think just like a a city recreational place where you could go and have meetings. Just it was open. You know, you could rent it for a family reunion in Ephesus. This is what that building would have been. And he's meeting on a daily basis for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. So that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's a job description you don't find on Indeed right now. It means they traveled. Itinerant Jewish from Israel, exorcists means they were trying to get demons and evil spirits out of people. Also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. And seven sons of Sceva, a man who was a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? 
Then the men who had, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. So you see, Paul was meeting with people regularly for two years. The word of the Lord, the gospel is going forth. People everywhere are hearing it. And then these things begin to happen. They were taking Paul's clothes like he ate with that napkin, grab that napkin, take it home. Mama's sick. They would take it home and mama would not be sick anymore. Evil spirits coming out of people so much so that other people saw him doing that and tried to mimic it. Right. Those itinerant Jewish exorcists, they said, we're going to try this. And so they found a man who had been oppressed and possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And they said, we command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the evil spirit in the man said, I know Jesus and I recognize the name of Paul, but who are you? Now that's pretty impressive, right? The evil spirit, of course, knew who Jesus was, but he said, I recognize this name, Paul. This name of Paul keeps coming up. Him I would listen to. Who are you? And then he whipped all seven of them naked and sent them out of the house. Naked. And it said this event caused many to believe. It doesn't say then Paul showed up and came in like a knight on shining armor and said, no, nah, I'll take care of this and spoke to the spirit and the spirit left. That might have happened. That's not what it says. It just says the evil spirit said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize you. I'm about to whoop. I'm about to lay you out. You know, sometimes when and I've heard people say this, when you when there's been a fight, it can be a question as far as to who won it. You have a boxing match and. And, you know, somebody wins by decision and it's always contested. Like, well, I think it was this guy. Well, I think it was this guy. When your whole crew leaves naked, you lost. <laughs> when you started the fight with clothes on and you end it without your clothes on, you, you lost. But what did they hear? They said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. I ain't got no respect for the rest of y'all. So they started to see the power in the gospel of Jesus. And I believe it was so much more amplified in Ephesus because of the amount of darkness that these people were walking in and walking under. That they realized we've been hearing all these names, we've been seeing all this stuff, and and there were things that had power. They realized that Jesus had the ultimate power. That even the spirits were subject to him. And so you have these powerful displays and it causes a significant shift 
because of the gospel that was going forward. There was such a significant shift in the community that there was, if you read on down in Acts, right after that, there was a riot because the people that made money off the worship at the temple of Artemis were losing their businesses. They were losing their money. The people who made money off of the evil acts were about to go bankrupt. And they were like, we have to do something about this. We have to get these Jesus people out of here. That's how significant the shift was. Can you imagine if all the drug dealers in town got together at the county courthouse and said, we got to do something about these Jesus people. We can't make money here anymore. It was that significant. There was an extreme change in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was significant in the spread of the gospel through uh, those parts of Asia, the spread of Christianity through Asia. The same things that connected Ephesus to the rest of the world, the harbors, the highways, missionaries began to travel those same routes coming and going and be supported by the church at Ephesus. Let me tell you some of the people from scripture that you'll recognize that were connected to the church at Ephesus. Obviously, Paul one of the planters there of the church, Priscilla and Aquila, he left them there first. They were actually the ones who got things going. Apollos was there. He was already preaching in Ephesus. What about Timothy? We read about Timothy, Paul's letters to him. We read about his travels with Paul in the book of Acts. He was one of the, what you'd call the pastors there at the church of Ephesus. Guess who one of the overseers was? John, the beloved, the youngest disciple of Jesus Christ is one of the overseers of this church of Ephesus. That's why the church of Ephesus is one of the churches listed in the book of Revelation when John's writing to the churches. That's a really, really strong staff. That's a really impressive group that you see here working in and with the church of Ephesus. And again, that infrastructure, the harbors, the highways made it a hub for first evil in the ancient world and then Christ redeemed it and used it for his purposes to spread the gospel. They were missionary minded, sending people out, preaching the gospel and planting churches. So we have the author and we see more about the audience. That's just Ephesus. But this was written to the faithful saints in Christ at Ephesus. And what's the saying? It's God's holy people, somebody who's set apart for him. The saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Now think on that for just a minute. They were saints in Christ and still living in Ephesus. We can uh, recognize that, can't we? We can relate to that, to be a saint of God in Christ Jesus and yet still living in the world. Think about all the things that they were seeing in Ephesus and yet they were in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus is a major theme in the book of Ephesians. It's a major theme for the New Testament 
two-thirds of it at least because Paul wrote that and he focused on it a lot. They were in Christ and yet still at Ephesus, the body of Christ, the church, living in the world. And he's writing this letter to them for it to stand on top of the things that he's already taught them to reinforce to them what their identity in Christ is. Remember, identity is not discovered. It's conveyed and received. Paul is reminding them of their identity in Christ, that they're not working for their identity, but they're working from their identity, that their identity is settled in heaven, that they are in Christ. And from that position, everything else follows. We see them looking to reinforce their identity, the unity of the church. So you've got the author, you've got the audience. And then what is the message of the book of Ephesians? A summary of it can be found right there in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Later on, you'll hear him refer to the gospel of peace. Grace being God's free, saving initiative and peace after he reconciles a sinner to himself. That's what it was talking about in the Gospels when the angels were declaring that uh, Jesus had been born, that he had been incarnate on the earth. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That God has come down not to judge, John 3, not to condemn, but to save and bring peace. Romans, now, now that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So by grace, he brought about a peace. Within each individual and then peace in the community of believers. He joins us together with him, grace and peace. And he joins us together in him, grace and peace. In this new community, the body, the church. So you can see in Ephesians, just a summary in three words of the thing, grace and peace. You'll see that fleshed out. You'll see that dug way down into and mind all of the wonders out of those words, grace and peace. And notice in those first two verses, Who's listed three times? Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over 
we're going to see him hold up Jesus and say, this is who it is that you are in. This end Christ will see this in his message. We'll see him put forth that in Christ, we have a new life. In Christ, those new lives together bring about a new society. That they bring about new standards for living and righteousness. And that they bring about new relationships or relationships in a new way. We'll see that as application in there. New life, new society, new standards, new relationships, new people. And thinking on this, both then, I'm sure, and obviously now, secular society, so godless intellectuals, people who just think about things, continue to preach a message. And if you listen, what they're preaching is we need you to be a new man. We need you to be a new society. We need a new world, right? This is what you hear them say. You hear words, new world order, you know, one of those big, you know, uh, buzzwords. This is what they continue to say, whether it's the Marxists, the socialists, the communists, the futurists, even the capitalists. They say, you need to be different. You need to step into, you know, the 21st century. You need to be a 21st century person. You need to be a new person so that we can create a new society. And it will result in a new world. Have you seen this? This is their message. And ironically enough, they've identified a problem. The world, as it is, isn't good. Scripture's been telling us that for thousands of years. That the earth groans. But their problem is they want to answer the problem that they're seeing without turning to God Almighty. Their diagnosis is we must be made new. We have to change. We have to evolve. We have to transform. We have to be made new. And we're going to show you how to do it. And obviously it continues to fail because while they've identified the problem, they don't have the ability to bring about a solution. It's all problem and no solution. What we need is not a new message from them, but to pay attention to the old one. The old message, the ancient message, the one that Ephesians will tell you is from before the foundations of the world. Before the earth began, this plan was put into place. What is it? New life in Christ, which is going to change you. See, they're wanting to change you, but they're wanting to change you into something else. New life in Christ, new society in Christ, new standard in Christ, new relationships in Christ. He is the answer. Marty and I were talking about just before church, all the things that were lost in the garden, Christ is bringing them back, has brought them back. He is the answer. You're going to see Paul lay that out very effectively in the book of Ephesians. 
Ephesus, by the way, no longer there. Not a city anymore. There are ruins there that you can pay money. You can pay a tour guide. You can go walk through the ruins. There's not a city there anymore. It no longer stands. But the letter to the church at Ephesus still stands to our benefit. Because he is the same God and he's unchanging. And because the problem of mankind hasn't changed, the message that we'll find there is ever more applicable to us in our life. And it will be an encouragement to us as we read it. And I would encourage you to read it. Again, we're going to go through it for a few weeks. It's going to be a little bit. But read it as we're going through it. Read it on your own. It's not very long. It's about 2,400 words long. Read a chapter a day. Read it once a day. Read it every day. Read it once a week. Read it while we're going through it because it's not just alive when I read it. It's not just alive when we talk about it in here. It is life to you and health to all of your flesh. It'd probably take you about 20 minutes to read it if you read the whole thing. That's not very long. So if you read it a fourth of it, it's even less, right? I'm not going to do the math for you. But Ephesians will remind us who we are in Christ by reminding us of who he is. And Paul's not just going to preach to us. He's going to pray for us. And for the church at Ephesus, that our eyes would be ever the more open to who we are in Christ so that we can step into what Christ has for us to do in his world, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we read today. Because we're like the church at Ephesus, we're the saints of God in the world. And there is darkness in the world. But nevertheless, the light shines in the midst of the darkness and the darkness cannot overtake it. The darkness cannot extinguish it. It wants to. You're going to see some of that in there. We're going to talk about that in there. Why is the darkness want to extinguish the light and why will it ultimately be defeated? Darkness can't extinguish it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as we finish up today, because it's about time to go eat. When we think on that to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. And you may say, I don't I don't feel like a saint. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a saint of God in Christ Jesus and in the world? What's required of me? How do I become that? And thankfully, the work is on his end and the belief is on our end. We talked about faith for so long. And I believe you're going to see more clearly by the power of the Holy Spirit as we go through the book of Ephesians, who it is that you have put your faith in. 
if you didn't understand anything about him and you just knew that he would save your soul and you called Jesus, that's saving faith. And as you learn more about who he is and what he's at work doing, it's going to produce in you an enduring faith and overcoming faith. So that you can walk in the midst of darkness. You'll see, I could have read on in Acts, they were coming against them with violence. When they would go and gather together as the church, they would loot their houses. They would throw them in jail. We're not quite running into that, are we? Might have a little bit fewer people here if we did. But it didn't, that's when the church exploded was under persecution. And that's hard for us to reconcile and hard for us to wrap our mind around. But that shows you and proves its authenticity is that when the heat was on, the church prevailed. And doesn't it make sense? Because Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you're not feeling like a saint, understand if your faith is in him, you are. It's an identity that you have and not one that you are working towards. And you're going to see it more clearly as we walk through the book of Ephesians. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the life in these letters. I thank you that you've preserved them for us. You've brought them to us. God, only you by your power could have done this because your message was so contrary to every other message in the world. There's not another one that tells people you are sinners in need of a savior. All the other ones just tell us we need to act better, do better and have a good attitude. Yours tells us what's really wrong with us and that you brought about the solution, the saving grace in Jesus Christ that we cannot live without. I thank you that we're not like those that draw back. We're like those that have faith and are saved through the work of Christ Jesus. And I thank you that you will encourage us in the fact that we are saints in Christ Jesus at the church in Camden. And you'll show us ever more what that means. That your word is changing us. It's shaping us. And you are, as Paul prayed over the church there and prays over us as we read it, you're opening the eyes of our understanding that we might be enlightened. That we might know what is the hope of your calling. That we might know and understand the depth of your love for us. The height of it. The width of it of it, that we have a greater understanding of who you are, how you've loved us and what you've done in us and what you're doing in the world. And we will marvel. Thank you that when we're far from you, all we have to do is cry out. All we have to do is cry out Jesus. The name that's above every name and that you are right there with us for us, to redeem us and put your spirit into our heart so that we can cry out rightly, Abba, Father. 
Lord, as we get ready to go today from here, worshiping together over your word to worshiping you over the table of fellowship. I pray that you bless that food. It is blessed because we're getting to sit down to good food with good family and friends and enjoy it together as you've designed. I pray that we will reap the benefits of it more than a full belly, more than a few jokes that we laughed at or something we were told that we benefit from. But God, you will use it to encourage our souls. I thank you for the rest that we find in the fellowship and the communion of the saints in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as we rise from that table and leave out today, I thank you that we'll go in peace and unity together with one another. As we go into this week, that we'll do so with you in mind. I thank you that our attitudes and our actions will glorify you. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing to you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us wherever we go. That we're never alone. Lord, we pray for those who aren't here with us today, those that are traveling, bless them, keep them safe, bring them safely home to us. Those who are weak in their body, strengthen them from the inside out. Lord, those that are working, that they do so as unto you and others will see their good deeds and glorify their Father in heaven. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our church and in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.